scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 13. Please stand for the reading of scripture. John 13, beginning with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, arose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Please, our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you've spoken to us, and we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us, that we would see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, that his sheep would hear his voice and follow him, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you. The first part of John 13 contains what Bible scholars call an enacted parable. But if you want to put it in plainer, uh, simpler terms, you could call it a skit. I don't say that to make light of it, but it essentially functions as a skit. In my years of ministry, I have written and directed numerous skits, mostly at the Appalachia mission trip. And you know how it goes. You act out a simple story that can be done with minimal people and props in a short period of time, and the simple play is supposed to convey a much bigger message, much like the parables Jesus told. A a simple story, a, a lender for giving debts has a profound message about the forgiveness of sins and the death of the Son of God, or a simple story about a farmer 
sowing seeds has a much bigger lesson about the Word of God and the condition of our hearts. So here we have in Jesus washing the disciples' feet a parable acted out, a skit. Now, of course, there have been some who did not take it that way. They take it to mean we are literally to have foot washing services. Well, look at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He says to wash one another's feet as, as he washed their feet. Does that settle it? Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Jesus was doing something that they would not have been able to understand that night. Certainly they were able to understand that he was washing their feet that night. And so that indicates there's something far more significant than the actual physically washing of feet. No, there's something infinitely, and that's not hyperbole, I mean literally infinitely more important and wonderful than just the washing of feet. This is a parable about the love of Jesus Christ. You realize how much He loves you. Let's look at His love together. First in this passage, you see the love of Jesus. Look at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved his people to the end. Of course, that refers to time. The end of his life would come in less than 24 hours. He loved them to the end. But it indicates more that he loved them to the full. We might uh, say today he loved them to the nth degree. And so how do we begin to describe the full extent of the love of Jesus for his people? Well, John describes it by setting up a contrast between Jesus and Judas. Look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas has made his deal with the devil, and here this worthless man is about to turn Jesus over to destroy him for his own gain, for a few pieces of silver. And then John highlights the value of the person Judas is selling out. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he has everything. He's got the whole world in his hands. He came from God, the bosom of the Father, and he's going back. He's the infinite Son of God, equal with the Father. So you see here this worthless man destroying the infinite man for selfish gain. And on the other side, that great contrast you see in verse 1. You see, Jesus knew 
that his hour had come. That is, his time to die had come. The one who is of infinite, eternal worth is going to sacrifice himself, lay down his life and allow himself to be destroyed. He is going to die for those who are worthless in themselves because to him they are precious. That's the love of Jesus. Secondly, you see the humiliation of Jesus. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper... He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now in that day, most, not all, but most roads uh, were dirt roads and, and men wore sandals. And in the course of a day, their feet would accumulate massive amounts of dirt They had smelly, offensive feet and tracked dirt everywhere. And the way they sat at table back then, it seems very uncomfortable uh, to me, stretched out on mats on the floor. The feet had a way of kind of being obvious, literally, in your face. So to deal with it, it was customary when you entered a home that you would remove your sandals and have your feet washed but it was considered the lowest task of all domestic service. A person with any means whatsoever would not wash their company's feet. That was a job for the servants. But foot washing was considered so low and so offensive a thing to have to do that it was customary to tip the servant for washing your feet. And Jesus and his 12 disciples are gathered for the Passover and there's no servants. Who's going to wash the feet? You imagine the disciples are hoping no one brings it up. And then Jesus gets up, takes off his outer garments, puts on a towel, pours water into a basin, gets down and he himself begins to wash their feet. But the language here is striking. Look at it. Especially look at at the verbs and participles. Verse 4, he rose from supper, laid aside, taking, poured, wash. Hold your place. John 13, and turn to Philippians chapter 2 for a minute. This will make a lot more sense if you see it with your own eyes. Philippians 2, 5. You know this passage. Jonathan preached it wonderfully at Christmas for you. Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you see the picture there. Jesus, even though he is in the form of God, even though everything that makes God, God is the property of Jesus, it is His, even though He was God, He did not cling to His divine rights and privileges, although He never ceased to be God, but but rather than cling to it, He emptied Himself by taking on Himself the form of a servant, the the nature, the, the property of a slave. And was made man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Though he was God, he came down. He humbled himself, took on flesh. The Creator became a creature. The one who knew no sin became sin and laid down his life for sinners. Now, go back to John 13. And I want you to look at verses 3 to 5, read over them while I read something I wrote here. Look at verse 3 while I read this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was coming back to God, rose from his throne. He laid aside his glory and taking human flesh, clothed himself in it. Then he poured out his blood on a cross and began to wash his people and to cleanse them from their sins with the human flesh in which he was clothed. You see what Jesus is doing? He's acting out a demonstration of his person and his work. His incarnation, taking our humanity on himself, bearing our sin to the cross, shedding his blood for us. It's his humiliation, laying aside his glory and taking the form of a slave. That's the full extent of Jesus' love for his people. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you? See, the love of Jesus, the humiliation of Jesus. Thirdly, you see the blood of Jesus. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter doesn't understand what's going on. Neither does anyone else. They can't understand why Jesus is doing this, washing their feet. And Jesus tells Uh, Peter, he cannot understand it. He won't be able to understand the significance of all this at the time. Not until after the cross and after the resurrection will this begin to make sense to them. So then in in verse 8, Peter, who does not understand, says, You will never wash my feet. Like John the Baptist, you remember, Jesus came to him to be baptized. And and, and John said, "Uh, Lord... I need to be baptized by you. Why do you come to me? Uh, Peter is saying, uh, this is not proper. You ought not to wash my feet. You'll never do it. And then you see the second part of verse 8, how Jesus answers Peter. 
if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, he says, you're not one of mine. You're not one of his own who, verse 1, says he loved to the end. You have no interest, no part in his love if he doesn't wash you. Now, obviously, this has to do with something far more uh, significant than washing the feet of 12 men in the upper room. Again, they couldn't understand it then, but it's his blood. If you are not washed in his blood, uh, you're not his Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you trusting fully in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Peter, well-intentioned enough in verse 9, says, not only my, my feet, but also my hands and my head. Probably with some reference there to the sanctification of the Aaronic priesthood in the book of Leviticus. And in Jesus, as he so often does when his disciples don't understand him, rather than rebuke them or show that he's exasperated with their failure to understand, he takes the opportunity gently to teach them something. Look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you. See the picture. The one who is clean, who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet. I bathe my children, and they're clean. You know, when spring heats up, you wouldn't have felt it this morning, but when spring begins to heat up, my children become allergic to shoes, just like I did. And they'll come in, and their feet will be absolutely filthy. But the child is essentially clean. He or she had a bath. It doesn't need another bath. Today, as much as he may want to play in the tub, but I do need to sponge off his feet before he goes to bed and runs the sheets. And Jesus uses that as a description of the Christian life. You see, if you belong to him, if you trust his blood, you've been washed once and for all. You don't need to do that again. And yet along the way, in the course of a day, in this present evil world, you're going to pick up a fair bit of dirt. You need to get your feet washed on a daily basis. You don't need to be reconverted or re-justified or re-saved. No, no, you're clean once and you always will be. But you don't want to come into the Father's presence, run around His house and track mud all over the floor. It strains the relationship. doesn't break the relationship, but it strains it. And as his child in his house, we need to wash our feet when we come in every day. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know that's addressed to Christians. We don't need a full bath anymore. Well, we need it, but we already had it. 
We still need to wash our feet. Seek forgiveness every day. You see the love of Jesus, the humiliation of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Fourthly, you see the exaltation of Jesus. Look at verse 12. When he would washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? This is the second act of the parable. Once he would washed their feet, he put the garments back on that he had previously laid aside when he came down. And then he resumed his place. And once Jesus had finished the work, taken the humiliation as far down as it could go, bearing our sin and the wrath of God, he entered into his glory. Once he had humbled himself and become obedient to the point of death, then what? God highly exalted him. He raised him from the dead and he ascended and returned to the glory of the Father and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Old hymn says the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. A royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. The exaltation of Jesus. But there's one other thing you need to see and we'll hit it quickly. You see, the love of Jesus, the humiliation of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the exaltation of Jesus. Fifthly and finally, you see the example of Jesus. Look at verse 12. When he washed their feet, put on his outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. He says that he left us an example. The highest one took the lowest place. The greatest one was the servant. And when they asked Jesus who would be the greatest in his kingdom, he said, he who would be the greatest, let him be your servant. Peter did not understand this that night, but after the cross, after the resurrection, he did. And surely this conversation with Jesus was on his mind when this same Peter wrote so many years later that Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You know, it's striking something John does not say in verse 12 if you look at it he does not say that Jesus took off the towel when he laid aside his outer garments he took the towel the symbol of the servant but when he put his outer garments back on John does not say that he took the towel off and we know why because Jesus never took off his human flesh and he never will He is still and always will be fully man, God and man, in two distinct natures and one person forever. And from his risen flesh, there comes a virtue, a power by the Holy Spirit that enables, that empowers, that animates us to live in the pattern of his self-emptying love and humility and service.
And as we come to this table, his flesh and his blood is not here. His human body is on the throne of God. And this bread is just bread and this fruit of the vine is just that. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we draw strength and grace from our union with our risen Lord in his death and resurrection. And let us prepare to meet with him and be served once again by him